listening to Acaville, streaming acapella music 24 hours a day online at acaville.com. Acaville, we dare you to find any instruments in these tracks. At the top of the hour this hour, Acaville's new shows. Just in case you missed it, over the last few weeks, we've launched two new weekly programs. On Tuesday nights at 8 p.m. East, 5 p.m. West, catch Tacapella, John Lampus's hour-long talk show where he and a guest break down a big topic in acapella. One week it's culture, another it's arranging, but whatever the topic, they'll be taking a stand. Then on Thursdays at 7 p.m. East, 4 p.m. West, catch Shop Talk, a two-hour focus on barbershop harmonies. Host Mark Holdeman explores both traditional and contemporary barbershop, bringing the best of that community to you. If you missed either show, they're both also on rebroadcast Saturday every week. So tune in and check them out. Hello, Acaville fans. Welcome to Tacapella, Acaville Radio's weekly talk show. I'm your host, John Lampus, joined today by my good friend and former co-musical director, Greg Starr. Hi, it's great to be on the show. It's great to have you, Greg. So, Greg, could you tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do, how you do it, and what you like about it? Life story, go. Okay, well, I've spent my entire life in the Pacific Northwest. I've been involved in music for pretty much my entire life. I started choir when I was, I believe, eight years old. And with a few exceptions, I've been a choir of one sort or another pretty much every year since then. Mm Mm-hmm. As an undergrad, I went to UW and I majored in music. I briefly took some music ed classes, but I decided to just do a general music major. Mm-hmm. And during my time at UW, I was in a group called the Hus Keys. Um, keys spelled like piano <laughs> keys. That's sort of the pun there. Yep. And I was in there from beginning of my freshman year until winter quarter of my senior year. Gotcha. Cool. And then after graduating, I did a two-year stint in Taiwan where I taught English. And after that, I spent the past two years at UPS um, going to graduate school. Yeah. yeah, I'm doing a Master of the Arts in Teaching. And I just finished my student teaching last spring. And now I'm just um, finishing it up over the summer. And I'll graduate in August. And Greg, were you involved in any acapella groups while you were at the University of Puget Sound? I was. I was in the Timbermen with John. Yeah. For a year and a half. Good times. So Greg brings a really interesting perspective in the sense that he is currently pursuing the, as am I, we're both going to be choral directors. That's the big, that's our long-term game plan. And I think that brings a really interesting perspective into directing an acapella group, not even just musically, as we talked a lot about last week, but just in terms of like how you run things, the culture you create when running an acapella group. Because I've seen groups be run by people who don't, maybe aren't going into choral, or maybe like a vocal performance major is going to run a group differently than a music ed major, than a music business, than a music technology, et cetera, et cetera. The other two topics we're going to be hitting on today is big school acapella versus small school. UW's big, UPS is small, and then big group acapella, Huskies. Greg, how large were the Huskies? Well, it varied a little bit from year to year. I believe when I first entered the group, it was about 15 or 16, and then it briefly shrunk to about 12, and from there, we let about five or six more people into the group. From then on, it stayed in the 16 to 20 range. Yeah, and I'm sure there was a big difference in a group with 15 or 16, and um, Huskies were SATB, is that correct? 
That's correct, yes. Yeah, so an SATB 15 to 16 state school group versus a four to five tenor bass group at a small liberal arts school. So those are the three big topics we're going to be talking about today, our Tacapella topics, say that five times fast. It's actually really not that hard. I've, I've tried it before. So, Greg, what would you like to talk about first? Why don't we start with um, small schools versus larger schools? I think that's a pretty interesting topic. Yeah. So just for you guys who don't know, as we kind of hinted at and talked about, Greg went to UW, had time off, then went to get his master's at UPS. And that puts him in a really unique position of, hey, you you were in a standard big school acapella group, then going to one much different in a much different school culture. So I'd love to hear what your experience was. What were the good, the bad, the ugly? What was your take on going from one to the other? And what were your feelings on that? Well, I think the biggest difference is um, just how much compromise is necessary in mm-hmm. a group of 15 or 16 as opposed to a group of four or five. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's one of the things that drew me to the Timberman, go- being in a smaller group and knowing that each individual member sort of plays a more important role than in a larger group. Of course. And the idea that for a small group to work, every single member has to be pretty committed. In a larger group, that's not to say that there aren't larger groups where there are where every member is committed, but there are sometimes larger groups where some members basically end up relying on others to sort of carry their part. Absolutely. And and I was trying to kind of avoid that by going to the Timbermen. Yeah. And I think expectations for an acapella group is, you know, it's kind of an interesting thing to talk about because everyone has a different expectation before they join their first acapella group. Mm-hmm. And by the time I auditioned for Timberman, I already had a pretty clear idea of what went on, you know, college acapella groups, what the process was like. And that mm-hmm. wasn't the case when I first joined the Huskies at UW. What was it like? Well, the pers- perspective that I brought was probably pretty different from maybe an average college student because coming from background of choir and all, my basic goal of being in an acapella group was to put the music first and to think about how we can have most refined musical performance. I mean, yep. of course I wanted to have fun as well, but that was sort of the underlying goal for me, and that might not have been for someone who wanted to join an acapella because it seemed like a fun thing to do. Yeah. That's not to say they didn't want their performances to be good, but I think a lot of people, especially in larger state schools and larger acapella groups, might be in it more for you know the social element of it, you know, meeting new people and just the thrill of performing. Yeah. And the musical element of it might not be as important to them. Might fall by the wayside, especially in, you know, the millennials day and age. For us, you know, going to college, the idea of acapella is so intertwined with college. Even though there are high school acapella groups and even some middle school ones and community ones, the idea of acapella is so intertwined with the idea of going to college and i could see some people seeing it more as a collegiate experience more than a musical experience because i think for people like you and i greg we're going in we're like okay this is another musical group and how are we going to get to the music and it's obviously in a much different place in like campus culture than a choir would be or something yeah i think going to a bigger school of acapella is just presented differently and thought of differently as when you're going to a small school. So one of the big differences between my experience with the Timbermen and my experience with the Huskies is that going to the Timbermen, 
Um, for both of us, we're more musically minded when we think about acapella and, you know, giving a really musically refined performance is really important to us. And yeah. since it's a smaller group and there, you know, two of us were half the group to begin with and then eventually yeah. two out of five, we have a lot of influence in the group. And mm-hmm. so that, and so our desire to put a lot of importance on the music really became an important part of the group. Yeah, it did. And I think that's why we succeeded pretty well and uh, something just popped to my mind I don't know if you remember this but I think it says something about small schools versus big schools uh, I remember talking to you like one-on-one about Timberman We're like hey you should audition this is kind of what the group does and that was an easy thing literally just physically for me to do because the school's so small so I saw you multiple times before the audition whereas at I'm wondering when before you auditioned for the Huskies, because it's a bigger school, did you get the chance to have like an in-depth conversation with the musical director of the group uh, beforehand? Well, first I could get into how Huskies didn't have a musical director in the same way the Timbermen did, but that's perhaps a different topic for a different time. The Huskies, when I was a freshman, was almost sort of a subgroup of a larger choir. Oh, okay. And that's how they originally were able to kind of sell it, because they basically recruited other members of that choir to begin with. Uh. And then later, by the time I was a sophomore, we started holding auditions and we had enough name recognition on campus for people who weren't necessarily music majors or involved in choir to audition. So did you actually audition for the Huskies or was your Huskies audition basically you were let in because you were in choir? By that point, the group was so young, there were only a few people who were from it last year and they they saw me in choir, so they pretty much just invited me to go into the group. Yeah. My sophomore year was the first time there were actually formal auditions for the group. Okay. Yeah. And that's a huge thing in like not even big versus little schools, just in terms of like young versus old, because had you been at UPS the year before... Um, which is when Timberman was founded, I, I probably would have done the same thing. I just invited people into the group, and I planned to do that when I head off to Colorado State. And I just, you know, invitations versus auditions, you have to have name brand recognition. And that's very interesting. And I think that is a totally other topic of just, like, navigating big schools right. versus small schools in terms of creating a place on campus culture for your group. Exactly. And I realize that, you know, auditions aren't necessarily our topic of conversation, but I do want to... Oh, yeah. I'll bring up one thing about auditions. Mm-hmm. Um, um, you might think that auditions at a bigger state school, you know, if you're letting in more people, they might take more time but be perhaps less competitive because you have more spots. Mm-hmm. But that's not necessarily the case because often, depending on how large the senior class was the year before, we'd only have two or three spots available. Okay. And so sometimes we would spend the better part of two hours deliberating. And it was really interesting to see huh. what criteria some people had. Oh, wow. And, it sort of, and at times I wondered if I would have gotten into the group my, my junior or senior year if I had auditioned. Yeah. Because it wasn't always like how well in tune someone sang. For some people, it was more how confidently they presented themselves. Yeah, and that's, that's really interesting because that's definitely, I think, when we held auditions for Timberland, both when you auditioned for us and when you and I heard auditionees, we, I think our first goal was, okay, music first, and then we kind of looked at the other things. So that's, I think, just, right. again, that's like all three of these topics intertwined. We had the core yeah, perspective, and, and then 
what because we we're in a small group we chose okay it's going to be music first but that's so interesting that like yeah but a larger group yeah it's it's hard to come to a consensus as to what you're looking for <laughs> i'm interested delving into auditions here for a second i'm interested in, in essentially talking big groups versus small groups what not even in regards to deliberations but just in regards to mood and procedure and all that stuff how did deliberating auditions for the Huskies at the at UW versus deliberating for auditions at Timbermen how did how was that different how was the whole audition procedure both when you were choosing members how is that different between those two groups which represent you know two very different philosophies and are associated with two very different schools um well i think one key difference was especially in um our last semester when when we were sort of holding our last auditions, we we decided to first have callbacks, and that's mm -hmm. something that um, the Huskies didn't do until I think my junior year. I think oh, okay. we only decided at the last minute to do callbacks because we really could not decide on two particular members which mm -hmm. one to let in. Gotcha. Um, but the thing about deliberating was because um, we hadn't really agreed beforehand on exactly what we were looking for and I think everyone had kind of a different vision as to what they wanted out of the newest members. In the Huskies? It took, yes, in the yeah, Huskies. Okay. I think it took a lot longer for us to narrow the field a bit because for the Timbermen I feel like we could easily say okay well um, this particular auditionee sang, didn't sing as in tune as we would like. This particular auditionee had a lot of trouble um, with the scales you were having them do for the warm-up. Mm -hmm. And for the larger group, while we could sort of rule some people out immediately and then pick some people that we really liked, it took a lot longer to really get it down to even six or seven people. Yeah, they're just two totally different beasts. And you're looking at more people for more spots versus timber end where it's less people for less spots and then and this kind of just talks about auditions as a whole it's easier for groups to for group members to cover each other as you kind of discussed earlier in regards to bigger groups maybe this person okay maybe they don't sing super great in tune but they'll be able to be in tune if they have someone to kind of go off of and support them but that's in Timbermen where it's everyone on their own part that's if someone just couldn't hold their own part super well they, there was no question they would not be in the group because that's the foundation and that I think that says something oh and another thing is that in, in our case in our case pretty much everyone in everyone who was a vocal performance major or everyone who was in choir nearly everyone was pretty much spoken for by the time of our auditions we didn't exactly we weren't exactly choosing between a lot of different music majors or vocal performance majors yeah not necessarily the case at UW where you have so many like such a larger yeah, that's body something to choose I wanted from to ask. so often we'd have to choose between three or four music majors or three or four people from choir who we knew you know could sing very well in tune and could read music very well yeah that's a really interesting place to be because for me looking at auditions and my only experience as being in a small school it's like okay i want to get the music majors and for me how i kind of approached was okay even if we heard a music major who wasn't like the best vocalist ever if it seemed like they were going to stick with the music major and i felt confident they would for me i was like okay well they're just going to get better and better over the years so that would make me put them over someone who wasn't a music major even if they sang a little bit better I, I'm so jealous of big schools when you can f choose between music majors because for our situation, it was just if they're a music major, we want them absolutely no matter what. So that's, I think, a really and, important difference between big and small schools. 
And to mention another difference, you know, again, with different people having different criteria, sometimes, you know, the person that most of the group would favor would not even be a music major. So they put somebody who's on a music major over perhaps two other music majors because they liked how that person sang their solo or perhaps they thought that person had a better presence. Oh, man, that's so... It's so much. It sounds just so much more complicated for big groups. And I'm glad it is. <laughs> I've always just been uh, in a small group because that just it's really easy when you comprise 20 percent or 25 percent of the opinion. I mean, I don't think in the two times we did Timberman auditions where we just kind of deliberated, they didn't take that long for the first first real official auditions when you auditioned Greg and the other guys auditioned. I was we deliberated for about two whole minutes and that was it. And then. Um, it was so easy and it was more complicated the next year when we were adding um three singers instead of um two but still that's oh man that's so interesting so continuing on that great a question that i have for you that i absolutely know nothing about and i cannot infer on in any way um what was being in a big group versus being in a small group and the big group at a state school and the small group at a small liberal arts school what was their place in campus culture like because for us, I feel at Timberman, it was kind of tricky sometimes to make sure we had a big audience. We were, it's a small campus that isn't like hardcore, like acapella, yeah. So, you know, we had to work, as I'm sure all small groups do, we had to work at getting the word out for concerts and like really making sure people showed up. And I'm wondering how that compared with the Huskies where you just have a larger student body. Well, I think one of the things about UW is that, especially when I started out as a freshman, Mm -hmm. it didn't have the same established culture of a cappella, because the Huskies were a very new group, and the group beforehand didn't really seriously perform. So I don't think it had really the a cappella culture going on for too long before um, I started. How many a cappella groups were there at UW when you first started? Just two. Just two? Oh, wow. Yes. Because... UPS has four right now. So yeah, I think that's perhaps something different about UW compared to other schools, but at UW in particular, it's as a school, I think it emphasizes, you know, the sciences and technology a bit more than music. That's not to say that it doesn't have a good music program. It definitely has some strong mm-hmm. choirs. I was I was in some of those choirs. Um I think it has some very good professors, very good music professors, but I don't think the whole a cappella culture was very prominent there, at least when I was a freshman. It was starting to change to some degree in my later years. So, speaking about the UW music program and comparing it to UPS, and, you know, I think a really interesting idea and really interesting concept that comes up, and it was discussed a little bit last week, um, last week when Wyatt was on, the idea of faculty support in the, like, quote-unquote classical musicians at UPS... Our director was our core director was very supportive of the acapella groups and the head of the vocal performance program was the one who like scheduled all the concerts. We had a lot of support from the faculty and they occasionally worked with us and everything. And I think that creates a different space for acapella groups within the school culture. And I'm wondering what it was like at UW and how that affected the acapella culture on campus. Well, I hope I'm not gonna make any enemies by saying this, but um <laughs> Well, a- anyway, um, there were definitely some music, some music faculty members who I went to the acapella concerts, went to the Huskies concerts, and enjoyed them. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel I don't feel like it was as much um, 
enthusiastic support in that, you know, they wanted to help us publicize our concerts or anything like that. I think it was more, you know, a lot of them were pleased to see what we were doing, but weren't necessarily interested in helping us promote it. Huh. I think there definitely were some faculty members who didn't want any part of it, though. I feel like there are still some faculty members at UW, music faculty, who have a very um, classical, classical-centered view of music, where they've they view classical music as you know the most, I guess, academically appropriate kind of music. And that's that's a bummer that it's so kind of walled off in that way that there's such a line in the sand because I think the intersection between the two can be great. And I know that my voice teacher would help me with my acapella solos all the time. She wanted to help me with my acapella solos to make sure that even though I was singing pop or musical theater or whatever, that I was doing it in a vocally healthy way. And that's a bummer that some faculty members did not support the acapella groups, because I think that can really help create a stronger foundation for the groups to build upon, because we're trying so hard to just get students involved and students interested in the groups. And if faculty can help in any way, just in even their approval or showing up, that's huge. They're the big guns. They're official. And that's so nice when they do. And I think we're really lucky at UPS to have such great support. Um, that's a bummer um, UW didn't have that as much. I hope there aren't any UW, like, I hope the professors you're talking about aren't listening right now because they'll come for me. <laughs> I, I hope not. <laughs> well, they, they'll come for me because I'm the alum. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, that's not to say there weren't any that you know weren't supportive and didn't enjoy what we were doing, but I feel like a lot of them weren't exactly sure how to help. For yeah. example, some of the voice teachers might have felt like it was fine for their students to be involved in an acapella group, but they weren't exactly sure how they might assist their voice students in developing ah. that style of singing. Gotcha, because my voice teacher, in addition, you know, big opera stuff and being a pedagogical master she also did a lot of jazz and musical theater and she was very had a very diverse palette which was really lucky for me but i could see other maybe quote-unquote like classically trained kind of people who don't delve into that world of not necessarily classical but classically informed pop you know pop that is sung in a vocally healthy way i could see them just either being apprehensive about it or simply not knowing well i'm not sure how to you belt that F sharp in a with some vowel modification, blah, blah, you know, whatever. I don't, right. know, I don't know any of that stuff um, well enough to discuss it. But I wonder if that at all contributed to the fact that there were only two acapella groups on such a big campus. And because I know for me, when I junior year, I'm thinking I really want to create a group. I had a lot of support from the faculty and they encouraged me to do so. And also I got guidance from them on how to select members and how to where to start. I remember we had a member who just was not really holding his part and it was really tricky. And I had to let him go. I just say, hey, you're just not working out. And I talked to you know, multiple faculty members, I mean, not multiple, two, like two important faculty members. I'm, how do I deal with this? How do I deal with a group member who just can't do it and who I made a mistake on letting in? And they guided me through that expertly. And if they hadn't, I'm not sure Timberman would have been a thing. But it's, I think it's so important for faculty to be accepting of that, even maybe if they don't agree with it um, entirely. It's a bummer that some people view acapella as this, you know, uh, like an enemy to classical music, that faculty members see it as their antagonist and as a threat to healthy technique or healthy vocal production, which is a bummer because right. I think in the long run, it just hurts. It hurts both. Yeah. And I mean, as an educator, I could go on about that and how, 
you know, too many music classes are often very classic, classical centric and don't consider other styles enough, but that it's probably another topic for another time. Hey, well, next time you're on, we'll talk about that. Literally, I'm going to write that down. We will talk about okay. that next time All you're right. on the show. Got it. So let's take a quick uh, commercial break here. And Greg, tell us what we're going to be listening to once we're back. Okay, so this song that we're going to be hearing is called Sound of Silence. It's originally by Simon and Garfunkel. And um, one of your friends, I believe, Duncan Toomey, did this really cool arrangement of it. And He's on next week's episode. Woo! Great to hear him. Um, <laughs> so yeah, he did this really cool arrangement of Sound of Silence, and my first and second semester of Timberman, we performed it, Yeah, and I think it went really well. I think it was a really good success. I was way more successful than I thought it would be, especially since the rehearsals were a little scary at some point. This is actually going to be the very first time Timberman has played on Acaville, so this is The Sound of Silence, originally by Simon and Garfunkel, arranged by Duncan Toomey and performed by the Fall 2014 Timberman, and we're going to hear them in just a second after this message from Acaville. You're listening to Acaville, streaming acapella music 24 hours a day and online at acaville.com, putting the ah into acapella. Out is warning in the words 
Hope you enjoyed that performance by the Timberman. Oh, it was so good. I listened to it the other day. I was like, oh, wait, I didn't realize this was like actually a good recording. I didn't think we had any. So, Greg, on big groups versus small groups, and I think this is just a really basic question. I'm surprised I hadn't thought of yet. Um, what's the difference in musical rehearsals? How do they proceed differently? Because you have a very unique perspective in these are two very different groups and you are a musician and uh, we're a musical leader. And I'm wondering what was the difference between these two? What did you like? What didn't you like? How did it go? Timberman versus Huskies, small group versus big group. Um, well, one of the biggest differences is um, basically how we pinpointed what we needed to fix and how we actually fixed, you know, issues mm-hmm. where there were note issues, um, whether issues of people not being able to hold their part and I think in a smaller group, you can pretty quickly pinpoint, you know, what you need to work on. Yeah. I feel like it's pretty easy to hear, you know, which which part is a little bit off because it's one person on the part. When you have multiple people on the same part, you're not exactly sure. Um, you're not necessarily sure exactly what you need to do in order to yeah. fix a certain section. Um, I, I found that just in like running choral rehearsals i'm like i'm not sure which one's wrong because i'm just so used to like being with just four or five other people and all of us like almost it's it's easier for the individual to take responsibility for their part because they might hear that they're doing it wrong and they're i feel like people in a smaller group they are more they will scrutinize themselves more because it's so much easier for them to go off or so much easier for them to screw everything up so people are a little more on themselves in a sense whereas when you're in a big group think you can hide or you can fall into the texture in a sense right and then also in larger groups we sometimes we sometimes did pieces with more than four or even five parts mm-hmm. and there it's easy for parts to kind of fall underneath the cracks and you and you know unless you're specifically listening for a certain part you might not even notice that yeah for us i felt in a small group with timberman it was while it was, I think, overall a harder process of, in regards to we all have to hold our own parts and make sure we're doing them well, it was, it, we essentially, I think we had an easier roadmap. It was overall a harder destination and a more tricky destination, but for us, it was pretty easy. Okay, this is wrong, that's wrong, and that's wrong. And that could be a little discouraging at times because if we just didn't know it that well or whatever, but it was clear what was wrong most of the time. I didn't. We didn't have to search too long to figure out what wasn't working. But in a big group, I'm sure you can, it's, it can be a little bit of a witch hunt, and it can be kind of hard to figure out exactly which part isn't meshing. Yeah, and in a small group, every member does have to kind of hold themselves accountable, as you said. Mm-hmm. In a larger group, you know, it could be the case that maybe one of the altos keeps missing a certain part. I'm totally not thinking of a specific example. But anyway, <laughs> um, anyway, it could be the case that one of the altos is missing a specific part and just doesn't sing out that much and that part just never gets fixed because there's yeah. so many other parts to worry about. There are other altos and you know, it's just such a more complex process in a sense yeah. that sometimes those things just don't get fixed. 
Yeah, while I feel holding one person's part as an individual is a harder oral and vocal activity to do, it's it is easy to find out when it's wrong. So it's easier to move forward. And with that, I think in regards to falling into the cracks or like what sparked this idea is um, you said like someone who doesn't sing out as much. What and this kind of goes back to auditions, but overall just group. Uh, it kind of goes into how you build and comprise a group. There was never a time in Timberman, either in auditions or choosing or whatever, selecting members that I ever felt that I could choose or afford to select. And that's just based on the nature nature of the group. I could never choose a like quote unquote supporting voice. I always had to choose people who were confident and could sing out and comprise a a good chunk of the sound and contribute to the sound. There was never a time where I just remember in high school, there was this one guy in my choir. He sang, I mean, he didn't, it was all very breathy and kind of wimpy, whatever, but he always sang very in tune. He didn't necessarily like add much to the sound, but he supported the other people who, who did sing out. And in a group of four or five, those voices just don't exist. They just can't because you need to be, maybe you are singing all your right notes, but you don't sing out. That's just not something you can have because that affects the a balance horribly. But in a bigger group, you know, we've been saying you can fall into the cracks. You can also just support people and maybe not be as forthcoming with your voice and you can kind of hide, but still do work. And it like, quote unquote, behind the scenes by helping out the others, basically, supporting voices just aren't a thing in small groups and with big groups i think they can be and it's i'm not a fan of the idea of supporting voices at all Um, but if i was in a choir and i'm auditioning a choir i'd probably have some that some that weren't maybe the best um on their own but contributed to the sound i think it's just interesting that in regards to choosing group members you can have something like that in the huskies but you definitely can't have that in a group like timbermen Right. And I think you're also getting at something else. And that's them in the Hus, or sorry, in the Timbermen. Basically, all of us were not only, were not only you know, soloists. We all kind of had our own song that we sang solo on, but we also, you know, we played a supporting role in a different sense. We weren't just, you know, quiet background singers. We were, we were all kind of important background parts as well. Yeah. Oh yeah, and I feel like in a large in a small group, it's pretty easy to divvy up solos. Yeah, especially if you decide that you know you want to give everyone a fair shot. In a larger group, it's more of a choice. And while some, it seems to me some larger groups have the mentality of you know being as fair as possible and trying to let as many people who want a solo get one at some point. Other large groups seem to ha- seem fine basically having three or four people do the vast majority of the solos. Oh, I hate that. It makes and, sense. That's so repetitive. You know, that's, yeah. And another thing is, you know, that adds a layer of competition that I don't think exists as much in Ooh, the smaller that's groups. That's a really good point. Because um, we, act, Lauren and I talked about this a lot on episode three, is basically that for Timberman, I explained, we just chose we chose songs based on our members and just were like, hey, do you want this to be your solo song? Because for us, that created, you know, like if I was in a choir, I would never choose, like I would never guarantee anyone, like everyone have a solo song. But for Timberman, in doing that, we showed off all our members and we created a very diverse sounding set list. So that you can't really do that in a group with 15 or 16 because 15 or 16 songs where there's always a soloist, that's not a very, that's uh, that's really varied, but that's ridiculously exhausting. And even just in regards to right. choosing those soloists. But I think it also got at something there about you all i always felt in timberman 
everyone's part always felt important. And I think that contributed to group motivation really well. Like, I think it'd be really easy to just kind of, when you're doing a background part, and I felt this way in choir and in my high school acapella group, which, which was a bigger acapella group, just kind of like, oh, my part's not really important. It's not the solo, or it's just kind of the baseline, whatever, and six other people are doing it. But when it's a group of four or five where I'm the only one on my part, I feel like I matter, and I feel like I'm contributing to the sound. Because I feel like just on, like, the big scale of vocal groups, when you have a group of, I've seen those, like, giant Nordic or Estonian choirs, whatever, where it's, like, couple thousand people all comprising one like choir and it's just like there's no uniqueness to the sound it's just Mm. whatever because it's so many but when you have a really small group the i feel like the sounds are more individual because it's you hear everyone so they all come together to create a very unique sound so by being part of that puzzle you basically give everyone's part more value and I think that contributed to people learning their parts really well because they knew that it all it did matter just doing that dot dot data data or whatever like in the background that was an important part of the texture so everyone's parts felt important and I felt like people learned their parts better and felt validated learning those like quote unquote silly background parts right and I think um the importance of the background parts also helped us feel like, you know, we had a role in every song and it helped reduce the amount of, I guess, competition, as I mentioned oh, before. Yeah. And there can be a great deal of competition in large groups, especially when it comes to solos and choreography. Yeah. And so much. the overall vision of the group, since there's so many different visions present in a large group. Yeah. Um, it, it can really, people really end up kind of competing over, you know, repertoire and where they want to take the group. Oh, um, and again, this this episode has a lot of parallels with the one I talked in episode three um, with Lauren. Basically, we had a very unique group in that um, we did not have a lot of, and this is, I think, the qualities of a small group versus a big group. There was not ever any sort of like, at least that you and I know of, there wasn't any really malice between members. The vision of the group was always very clear. And, and I won't deny that we, you and I kind of set that vision pretty clearly because we were the musical directors, but there was never a sense of someone wanting to take the group in a wildly different direction because the direction the group was headed was always openly discussed. And I don't think there was ever, if there were any sense of like, oh, this person hasn't learned their part. We just had that conversation very outright in the open. Nothing was like said behind closed doors or anything. It was, everything right. was out in the open. And I thought it, I thought it contributed to a very healthy group atmosphere and a hardworking one. Whereas I feel in a big group, things can just be said and, stuff can fester and issues with group leadership blah 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 but when you're in a small group it's just easy to be like hey i'm actually not okay with this and then you just have that conversation right there out in the open so i think overall it's just easier to create a healthy group atmosphere in a group of four or five because also i think there's a sense of we're really lucky in that we were all like pretty much our pretty good friends like i like for the especially in the last semester I was like legitimately friends with everyone in the group and that's easier to do with four or five people be like actually close with them or at least be acquaintances and buddies than it is with a group of 16 when you're filling a group of 16 there's a better chance there's a big personality or someone who's not that nice so I mean it's just simple math it's easier to get along I think there's a better chance of you getting along with four people very well than 16 people yeah and it's also easier for members to be honest with one another because what can happen when you're in a large group and not every not only do some people not get along very well but you know when so- certain things you know happen behind people's backs 
um, some pretty some pretty rough things can happen because my freshman year, um, when the group was originally sixteen, I mentioned that the group kind of shrunk to twelve, yeah. and that's because four specific members who were not particularly happy with the way the group was going, you know, one specific member of the group wanted to split the group into two, have a guys group and a girls group, another member basically only wanted to do contemporary pop from the last two or three years. Another member wanted to do more vocal jazz type mm-hmm. repertoire. But overall, four members of the group left the group and they gave their official reasons leaving as they had too much schoolwork, but Ooh. pretty much everyone knew that they were leaving because they weren't happy with the group. And that's the that's yeah. the way the group was at that time. And it took um after that, it basically what we had to do is the remaining 12 was, you know, talk Rebuild. over, have a very honest conversation about what we wanted from the group and just mm-hmm. have everyone share their vision and try and see where the differences were and whether we could still work it out. And I was worried before then mm-hmm. that the group might completely fall apart. Yeah, because it's hard to And we had that issue um, uh, like very first semester of Timberman. We had a lot. There were quite a few actually competing visions. Um not, I don't think anything as bad as what happened early with the Huskies, but we had a little bit of that. But then again, it was easy to just talk that out because it was all out in the open. And it's just harder to service. It's harder to service more people who all have their own individual vision for the group. And it's easier when it's less people. So, you know, there's trade-offs here. I'm wondering, though, Greg, what you think, um, what you enjoyed more when you were in a big group than when you were in the smaller group Timberman. Like what maybe something that worked better or smoother, like what was a positive, um, what was a pro that being in a bigger group had over being in a smaller group? Well, I think the most obvious benefit of a bigger group is that even more is possible because yeah. in a smaller group, especially where you only have you know, tenors, baritones, and basses, that sort of limits the amount of repertoire you can do. It limits the number of parts you can have. Whereas yeah. in the larger group, we could do eight-part songs. Mm-hmm. We could do songs that had you know, high soprano parts, low bass parts, more was possible, mm-hmm. especially with regards to choreography. And yeah, I just feel like the amount you can do with a group of 16 is much greater than the amount you can do with four or five in a group. Yeah, musically, visually, everything. And my always counter has been, um, but it, it's not true for all groups for sure, is like, okay, well, you can technically do more complicated musical things with a bigger group, but it's easier to keep them to do complicated musical things. it's If you do complicated musical things, whether that's polyrhythm, crazy tuning or whatever, it's a little bit easier to keep it all together when it's a smaller group. But I think, that, and that's kind of where I find my middle ground, but I know what you mean. There's definitely times where I'm like, man, it'd be so great if we just had a giant sound right now and we could just hit like a, like really get a crazy forte going here and really like raise the roof, which is, you know, some groups, OC, you know, stuff like them, um, all those vocal harmony groups, they can do that. We, you know, we're not professionals, so we couldn't, but I think that's a really good point. Yeah. I definitely had those feelings every once in a while. And that's partially why I expanded the group from four members for the first year and a half into uh, five members in my last semester. So I think that's another reason why perhaps larger groups, um, perhaps, gain a larger audience more quickly oh yeah because they sort of their performances might have more pizzazz so to speak yeah it might be more showy in a way whereas our performances not to say that i'm not proud of them i feel like our performances were more restrained I guess, intimate contained contained in a way but yeah i'm not yeah. saying that's a bad thing it's just no it's just different attracts a different audience different kind of audience member yeah 
one thing that happened with Timberman was that obviously you know is that we didn't get asked to do a lot of the like Edmonton Students Day stuff or the big camp like big campus performances because they were just like well we just want a bigger group that gets the crowd more excited and I'm just kind of like yeah whatever but it's but it's I I I hate it but I kind of understand and that there is a sense of a group of more people getting more people jazzed up in regards to volume decibels and making a bigger sound, blah, blah, blah. Um, (laughs) So it is what it is. Uh, So we're going to take one more quick break here. And the next tune we're going to be listening to is one the Timberman did. It's not, this is not the recording of us singing it. This is boys to men singing the Beatles yesterday. And we'll be right back here on Tacapella. You're listening to Acaville, streaming acapella music 24 hours a day, online at acaville.com. Acaville, where vocal music is our forte. Seems as though they're here to stay Oh, I believe in yesterday Suddenly I'm not half the man I used to be There's a shadow hanging over me Yesterday came suddenly Why she had to go I don't know She wouldn't say She wouldn't say She wouldn't say Yesterday was far away And I know I can't 
And we just heard Boys to Men singing Yesterday. That was, again, a tune that Greg and I performed in The Timbermen while we were in it. And now we're going to end this episode with a discussion of a philosophy both Greg and I adhere to. Maybe not philosophy, but the basically the choral approach. Our backgrounds as people as aspiring choral directors and, and how we approach a cappella groups because i think like i mentioned earlier all different people are gonna have all different ways of directing groups and we have kind of a specific way and greg's is closer to being employed than i am right now so i think he's the best one fingers crossed <laughs> same here all right so the choral perspective and a cappella groups greg what are your thoughts so Obviously, there are differences that exist between choirs and a cappella groups, but I think um, in terms of the overarching goals and reading for a performance, I think there are some definite similarities, mm-hmm. especially in the eyes of you know a music major or someone who has a lot of experience in a choir. Yeah. I feel like the way in which you get a piece performance ready musically isn't necessarily all that different, and some of the things you look for in a rehearsal, some of the things you run in a rehearsal can be actually quite similar. And the way in which you attune your ear to pick yeah. up on certain things, um, I feel as if it's a pretty similar process, even even in smaller groups and larger groups. It's it's the same tools. I think everyone, especially like you were saying, faculty members or anyone who likes, I've seen people on both sides try and draw a line, their classical word, blah, 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 blah. Um, but we're all singers and you can't change that because that's just the basis of both art forms. Right. And... I've discussed this before, but I think in terms of getting pieces performance ready, there are kind of three main steps, and they can be somewhat intertwined, but I think the first step basically involves um, dealing with the musical aspects, the technical aspects, be it learning notes, rhythms, words, and all of that, getting Mm -hmm. it, being able to perform it, and then perhaps memorizing it. The second main step is dealing with sort of interpretation, be it exploring yeah. the meaning of the text or basically what you want to convey through your performance. Mm-hmm. And the third step is considering you know, the actual performance being on stage, your audience, whether or not there will be any, any interaction with the audience, any choreography. And I've talked about this you know, in my ed classes when describing, you know, getting a group performance ready um but i feel like that also applies to acapella groups and i feel like you know first focusing on the actual music the repertoire is a good place to start perhaps Mm -hmm. someone with less of a choral background than me would take a different route but that would sort of be my route and then getting into interpretation and then moving from there to sort of the icing on the cake the performance how can you further enhance the performance yeah that's sort of the main process that I employ. Yeah, and I think that's very similar. And I think, and we, you know, we've, we've hit on it a lot today, talking about group direction and conflict and resolution, blah, blah, blah. Uh, I think a reason Timurin was, I would consider successful, is that you and I both had, even though we came from different schools, different backgrounds, blah, 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 we both had very similar directions. And that was, okay, the music comes first. And we put on everything after that. And I think sometimes that was, re- I think most of the time that was great. And there were other times I was like, oh man, maybe we should have like changed the order up a little bit and focused a little bit more on presentation or whatever. There's limitations and there's um, pros and cons to every side. But I think no matter what, the first step should be, you got to learn the music. And that's, yeah. I think that's why it worked well. And I think it's a fairly simple approach. And I think it's why also 
it wasn't hard to convince people who weren't music majors, who didn't share, quote unquote, the choral perspective or who weren't coming at it from that place necessarily. It was pretty easy to get them on board. It's like, hey, we're going to learn music and make it sound good. And then once that's good, we take the next step. And I feel like I feel like that should just be the basis for everything. Please don't learn choreography before you learn the notes. Right. I feel like in some cases you can bend the rules. And if, say, the meaning of a song is particularly ambiguous, you could start with that or at least start by discussing meaning a bit yeah but i feel like the most important thing and again this is sort of getting back to what we were discussing with you know large group versus small group it's important that you have a process and that you stand by it as opposed to different members of the group saying let's start with this or or this and then not reaching a consensus yeah absolutely again that gets back to open communication between group members and having unified vision and and I think a thing that people maybe when you know I think a lot of groups have these like hey what's our vision for the group I think a lot of times people think of the end goal it's like we want to be performing at this stage or whatever and we want to be this popular on campus blah 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 but a huge part of the vision of the group is getting to that vision is how you get there and I feel Mm -hmm. like that's something to really because when you talk about where you want everyone talks about what they want the group to be and that I think it's too intertwined sometimes with where they want the group to go, but how you get there is just as important, if not more important. Because you can all decide, hey, we want to compete at the ICCAs or whatever, but how are we going to do that? And for us, it's learning the music as well as you can first and then building off that. And if the discussion of where you want the group to go, if the discussion of how you get there and just how rehearsals are going to run and what's the... Um, mantra towards music learning and all that if that's not part of the discussion then I think the groups are screwed because that's that's the day-to-day activity is learning the notes and moving forward on the music and that process essentially right right you need a roadmap yeah and one of my professors at UPS um, he basically stressed the point to me that you have to meet you know, in my case, members of a choir, but this applies to an acapella group as well. Meet them where they are. Yeah. And I think it's important for an acapella group not to bite off more than they can chew initially. If, you know, if an acapella group is basically at the point where they only feel confident performing songs that are relatively simple harmonically, yeah, that's fine. They should start with that and perform that well and then take the next step. You know, they do need a roadmap to get to their end goals. Yeah, and I feel like, I've been guilty, and this is this is where I think the con, the con to the choral perspective can come in. Not really to the choral perspective, but what can come up with the choral perspective is trying to put that, give them too much to chew. I think, I can't remember, it was some semester, I don't think it was when you were there in Timberland, but I think we just chose something just a bit too musically challenging for the group because I thought this is a, this is a great song, it's hard, and it's jazz it's got jazz chords or whatever but basically i think it's so easy for us like high and mighty musicians to choose something that we know is a great piece and a great arrangement and maybe it's too hard for our members who aren't musicians who don't know how to who maybe don't know how to navigate the passaggio and sing that or float that high f or internalize that um, or audiate that vocal line or whatever it's really easy to put something that's too hard on our members just because we know we can do our own individual part doesn't mean the others can do it and that's something that i've really had to confront just for myself like okay i want to do this arrangement can i see us doing this successfully and if if it's kind of just like a maybe then then i have to chill my ego and put the group's success ahead of my desire to see a certain song performed 
Right. Yeah, and that again, that again, you know, goes with we were talking about how you know different people might have a different vision for the group, and you know, being a director means you always have to think about what's possible for your group and what's plausible. Yeah, and that's a reality that I think is really easy to ignore. Except, and then when you're two weeks from the concert and chords are still not locking and you haven't even learned the last page, that's when you get hit in the face with that. That's when it really hits you in the face that, uh-oh, maybe I made a mistake here and we're not going to be as successful because I couldn't look forward or I couldn't look beyond the face value of in the excitement of doing this arrangement. And I didn't put... It's, it's funny because I feel like it's really easy for music people to not, in that sense, not serve the music as well because they want to serve the music so much or they want to do the best or possible arrangement or the best or the hardest arrangement ever but bringing the music perspective the choral perspective means living confronting living and accepting the limitations of your group and i think that's the great middle ground essentially yes we bring we want to do music and we want to do it well we got to make sure we do the right music Right, and for those for those of you who aren't performers or haven't done a lot of performing, um, I'm pretty sure John can agree with me with this. One of the most unpleasant feelings of performing is when you have to perform something that you know you're not really ready for. Oh, <laughs> that gosh. feeling where you're, a piece is not as polished as you like it would be, as you would like it to be. You feel as if you have to go out there and present something that needs a couple more weeks. It's mm. just a really a really unpleasant feeling. There are a few things that are better than the feeling, you know, I'm ready for this performance. We've worked hard. We are going to give it our best. Yeah. And that's the feeling you always want to go for, even if that means picking simpler Easier songs. Repertoire. Yeah. Oh, man. Mm-hmm. I haven't had that, oh, gosh, we're not ready feeling in since high school, luckily. Had you ever felt that about any Timberman songs? I don't think there are any that were like... Not real... about any Timberman songs. Yeah. Not, not to that degree. Definitely yeah. Yeah. my first... My first acapella group in the Huskies, though, there were definitely yeah. some songs where I felt, uh, here we go. Yep, and that's a horrible and... feeling to have. And I, it's, oh, God, it's just not fun at all. And it just makes, especially as a musical director, it really makes you feel like you failed the group, essentially. And I've felt that more than once. Um, even just, even when it wasn't like, here we yeah. go, fingers crossed, even when it just wasn't <laughs> as perfect as it could be, I, you know, it's it has, maybe it sucks, but it's kind of on the musical director. Even if it's not, even if it's an individual member's issue, you have to take responsibility for that because you're the musical director, and that can be hard. And again, it's facing the limitations of the group, and it's overcoming them or accepting them and working through them. Right, and it might be the case in the performance. You know, the group pulls it out, and the audience still enjoys it, but it's still less of an enjoyable experience if you're worried during your performance of oh, that song God. as opposed to going in feeling great about the group feel knowing that it's going to go well that's why i always always stress like perform your set for like friends or family or whatever beforehand don't have the first time you go out and sing it be the first time you're trying to do it without music or the first time you're trying to do it all the way through or the first time you're trying to do it without reestablishing the pitch because it's just so scary and it's a disservice to your group members to not put their feet to the fire earlier essentially i think is what i'm saying right so i think guys that's gonna wrap up our most recent episode of talk Appella. greg thank you so much for being a guest on the show i'll be sure to have you on again soon well, first of all, uh, thank you for having me on the show. I'm 
glad to be a part of it. Oh, absolutely. And also just a few minor Tacapella things here. If you want to get in contact with Acaville Radio or myself, tweet either at, on Twitter at, at Acaville Radio or at John Lampus. And if you feel like you would want to be a guest on Tacapella and you have some really interesting perspective, like uh, Indian Raga micro-tuning in modern acapella, I really want to talk about that. So someone out there, please talk to me about it. But Sounds like uh, a really interesting topic. Yeah. <laughs> I'd love uh, to hear about that. Yeah. I'd, yeah. So if any of you really want to be on Tacapella, you know, I would love to have you on. Just hit me up. So thanks a ton for listening to Tacapella. Greg, thanks for being on the show. For everything acapella, keep it here on Acaville. <laughs>